Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Blackhawk 720. Came to the left circle, pulls up, hole, fires, he scores! Number 400 for Patrick Kane! Take the Blackhawks to go. Blackhawk 720, your insider key to the Hawks. Kane over the Stars line with an empty net. He shoots, he scores! An empty net goal, and that will put it away. It's time for Blackhawk 720, the only Hawks podcast worth listening to. Now, here's Chris Bowden and Joe Brand, podcast royalty. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the season-ending edition of the Blackhawks 720 podcast. Yes, the Blackhawks played all the way up until almost mid-May. Usually that's a, a good thing during a normal NHL season, but uh, all it takes you to is the end of the regular season. 56 games in the books as the Blackhawks finish their season with a 24-25-7 and record. Chris Bowden here along with Joe Brand as we uh, have one foot out the door heading into summer and uh, and an off season. Uh, but uh, Joe, these, these last two home games against Dallas, we'll get to the fans in a minute, but from... A season wrap-up standpoint, those last two games against the Stars were kind of the season in a nutshell. Uh, the Sunday game that they ended up hanging on to win, uh, that's usually how they did it during the course of the season. And then Monday night, uh, two goals in the first minute and a half of the game. We're having fun, and uh, a two-goal lead entering the midway point of the third period as well, but it disappears within the span of a couple of minutes. Difficulty holding on to a third-period lead, unlike the night before. And then a four-minute power play into regulation, carrying into overtime that comes up absolutely empty. Not even really that dangerous. And shortly after that power play ends, Dallas goes down at the other end and sticks in a rebound goal for the 5-4 uh, overtime victory. So, yep, that's pretty much the season in a nutshell. What do you think? I'm, I'm disappointed in myself because I'm typically the guy that always tries to find the microcosm. Whenever I learned that word in high school, I was always like trying to use that and just force it into every conversation that I had. And as long as it's not a microaggression. It's a microcosm. Right. Yes, okay. exactly. No, microaggressions are very bad. Um, when... You know, covering so many different sports, I always try to find that game. That's the microcosm of the season that just just uh, symbolizes the entire season. And I totally forgot about it in the finale. Uh, I, I I think I briefly thought about it when I saw they coughed up the two-goal lead. But then once it goes to overtime, I go, look at how much fun this is. It's such an explosive team. It's going to be a great way to end the season. What is that? Dallas scores with 30 seconds left. Oh, my God, what a bummer. And then that's just it. That's the season. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of been the ride for Blackhawks fans all year long. It was a real good one in the first couple of months. I think, you know, a lot of people were entertained. A lot of people saw some things they didn't expect to see. But when it all comes down to it, this is still a team that needs to improve in multiple areas. And I think Jeremy Colleton and Stan Bowman did a good job addressing those areas. And, um you know, the, the good news is, though, this is a young core that has shown that it can win and hold up against some of the better teams in the NHL. But now it's a matter of making that consistent and 
just growing with that for the years to upcome. Yeah, and, and we'll hear from Stan Bowman here momentarily from his end of the uh, season media session on Wednesday. Jeremy Carlton also spoke on Wednesday morning as we record here uh, late Wednesday, after two very late Wednesday afternoon, <laughs> as I didn't see Joe's text from like three hours previous to uh, to come down to the uh, Pilsen Podcast, pod, pod, the podcast, Pilsen podcast pad, or something like that. Yes, yes, uh, that that's much, that's where it. we are doing it, uh, doing this from the the season ending edition. But uh, and we'll also hear from Patrick Kane as he was among I don't know eight or nine players uh, that uh, spoke with the media for the final time on Tuesday. So uh, Stan coming up. We'll also hear from uh, eighty eight and the head coach here shortly. But the other great thing about those final two games is, you know, they got about 3,800, 4,000 fans into the building. And um, it, it was really great to see because it takes you all the way back to March 11th, 2020, when we were looking around that building, wondering when the next time was we were going to see fans uh, a day before uh, the NHL and pretty much every sport paused their seasons, their schedule. And, uh, Chicago was the last team to give a green light uh, to uh, the Bulls, the Blackhawks. Every other NHL team had something in place where fans were welcomed in. And just being there once again, uh, yeah, it wasn't the roar of 21, 22,000. But to be there when Jim Cornelison in person was there singing the national anthem. And Frank Pellico was there playing the organ you know, shaking the rafters with some of those notes. And even though the crowd noise didn't shake the ra- rafters equally, um, to see the fans point to the flag at the right moment of the anthem and just just to hear that, it, it was, you know, kind of a, a chilling experience to, to be back there and soaking it all in. And I said this on the broadcast, too. I, I even got a little teary-eyed uh, just because the wait had been so long and also that it was a sign that we're getting out of it. Finally, and that then that better days are ahead, and uh, it was really cool to have the fans back there. And and uh, again, I said this on the broadcast as well that we knew fans were back in the building when there were two minutes to go in regulation of a four four game between the Blackhawks and the Dallas Stars when the Detroit Sucks chant <laughs> starts, starts making its way through the United Center. That's when you know fans are back, Joe Brand. Death, taxes, and Detroit Sucks, I believe. Uh, boy. It was, I just looked over at Troy and I started laughing just because uh, Detroit has nothing to do with what was going on on the ice below us in a, in a nail-biting game. Uh, uh, but there, there, the chant went. Maybe, so. maybe it was just some confused fans that didn't know how to spell Detroit differently from Dallas. But no, no, obviously everyone knows the chant. Um, man, you know, you kind of brought me back. I, I forgot about how I forgot about how no matter how many times I was, you know, lucky enough to to cover the Hawks games at home. That national anthem always gave me chills. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so much to to the point of tears every time, but. At least chills. Yeah. At least chills every single time. And I kind of totally forgot about that until you just brought it up right now. I mean, it seems like so long ago that I asked Curtis Koch, our producer, uh, days before that final home game against the Sharks, if he could fill in for me because I ended up having to do a high school game. And I listened to you on the way home from that high school game, and you're talking about the NBA shutting down its season. And I'm like, okay, now this is serious. Yeah. Now this is yeah. all uh, something that people are actually really taking seriously. And then hockey was just a few days later. I mean, we were in 
the Fifth Third Arena, the practice uh, facility, yeah. when Connor Murphy and I think Patrick Kane were up at the podium and talking about what they have to do differently. They're, they have their own markers to sign autographs. They're not mm-hmm. sharing markers. Yeah. And I mean, that, uh, before, you know, it was it was like everyone else's expectations or opinion about it. it just, oh, this is all kind of a little too much. This is kind of crazy. And then, obviously, things took a turn for the worse. But like you said, it's it's more of an indication that here we go, the path towards normalcy or at least the new normal. And, yeah, it's not a jam-packed United Center, but it's something, and at least it's a step in the right direction. And, you know, we kind of speculated when fans were going to be allowed back at the United Center. It turns out to be just the final two home games, but it's just still so worth it rather than just just wrapping up the year without fans. Um, So it's a good job on that. Also a good job on the Blackhawks this year for not really having any serious COVID outbreaks. You know, there were a couple of positive tests and uh, some of them were false and false negative, but you know, good on them for for following protocol. Even if you do follow it to a T, there's a chance that you could put a player or a team in jeopardy. And, and the Blackhawks never hit that. So, so kudos to them. You know, it's always a pretty well-run organization, and from top to bottom, and, and that's just another example of it right there. And um, you know, unfortunately, the way it ends isn't towards the playoffs. And like you said, normally this is the time where we start talking about the first or second round, and. Um, I was kind of actually surprised when they asked Kirby Doc about it in the post game. You know, where do you want to be next year? He's in the playoffs. Yeah, in the playoffs. Yeah. This this day right here, I want to be in the playoffs. It's like, oh yeah, the schedule's a little altered over, but I, I like to see that mentality. And I know we'll get into what the players say and everything, but um, you know, I, I think the general consensus from everyone that talked after the last game and then a few days after that is is everyone's kind of in full agreement of where this team is at right now and where it has to move forward. And I think that's positive. Yep, and good on Kirby for taking that answer, taking that approach, because the question about it was, leading into it, was uh, about specific individual numbers. Where yes. do you want to be next year? And he just shoved all that aside, and he just said in the playoffs. And uh, he's come up with a couple of those responses from uh, a, a greater team aspect of things rather than individual and uh, we don't know what kind of uh, individual numbers uh, Kirby's capable of putting up. He's never even had a training camp so far in his first yeah, uh, right. two years in the NHL and he's looking forward to that as well as they shut him down uh, with four games to go in order to get some of that scar tissue cleared up, healing it that was uh, kind of I- impeding him. But for the here and now, let's uh, let's hear from Stan Bowman, the uh, President of Hockey Operations and General Manager as he met with the media. This isn't it's in entirety. We didn't think you wanted to listen through uh, 22 or 25 minutes. It's only about 13 of Stan. And again, we'll have uh, some some longer listens with Patrick Kane and Jeremy Carlton a little bit later on. But uh, as you'll hear with uh, with Stan, uh, he's asked about, you know, kind of a, uh, a couple of um, uh, lightning rod figures on his roster in Dylan Strom and Nikita Zadorov. Everyone uh, certainly has their opinions of, of those two players, um, Dylan having a disappointing season, even by his own account, and uh, Blackhawk fans got exposed to Nikita Zadorov, the the player that uh, Colorado Avalanche fans came to know over uh, the previous couple of seasons. So Stan's asked about those two players uh, individually, uh, how this team can 
take its next step. A team that dressed 10 rookies in each of those last two games against the Dallas Stars. Uh, a little bit of the latest on Jonathan Taves, and it's uh, nothing like a big reveal, but you'll hear what he had to say when asked about the Blackhawks captain. Also, the goaltending picture here moving forward, how much more we know now than we did uh, five months ago when they gathered for training camp and a huge question marks uh, hovered over that particular position. But uh, here Stan begins by talking about uh, the development of the many, many young players he brought on the roster this season. I guess the biggest thing I will say is when you're a young player, the challenge is to try to not just get a game or two in the NHL, but you want to establish yourself as a, as a regular player. So the one benefit we had this year was we had games essentially every other day. And uh, once they got going early in the year, um, they got into a bit of a rhythm. And I think we saw some of <clears throat> those young players, they, they really performed well in the beginning. I, I think you know, you're trying to prove yourself. You're, you're probably attention to detail is very high. Uh, you want to do the right thing. And, you know, once you get to the middle of the season, you've played a lot more games than you normally would in a, in a six or eight week period. So I think what, what ended up happening was some of our guys, um, the term is it hit the wall a bit. What that means is they, they probably can't find the consistency because they get worn down, uh, a little bit physically, but probably more mentally with the, the stress of continuing to perform almost day after day after day, you never get that break in a normal season. You'll have a, a, you know, three games a week. Maybe you'll have the occasional week when you have four games, but sometimes you have five days off between games. So you, you get that time to reset. And I think that probably would help younger players a little bit more, but we didn't have that this year. So, um, you know, the, the part that I'm, I'm happy about was the fact that we had so many young players that not only got the opportunity to get in a game or two, they played a, a long stretch of games consecutively. And um, we talked about it coming into the year that that was going to be important for us to have uh, some players step forward. And I think we had even more than we expected who, who came through and were big contributors. Where do you think there are areas to improve? If you look at uh, shots on goal against, um, if you look at uh, how uh, at the scoring with five on five, perhaps the PK, um, what are those areas in your mind looking back at the season and how do you plan to address them with personnel? I guess I could answer that a couple of ways. The, the first part of it is, um, you know, we need to have improvement probably across the board. I mean, there were, aspects that we did well uh, but i think probably finding consistency uh you know in stretches are both special teams were were really dominant o- over periods of time uh, probably didn't have the ability to, to stretch that out for the whole season uh, you know our power play was was i think we ended up in the top 10 but you know for the first probably 30 to 40 games, we were in, in top five. So we, we, the power play wasn't as strong down the stretch. And the, the PK was kind of the inverse of that. Um, so I think what we're looking for is um, more consistent. Um, you know, it's strange when you look around the league that, that it's kind of a common phenomenon, though, across all teams where it's really hard to maintain that for a, a full season, there, there tends to be some ebbs and flows and you're trying to minimize that a little bit. Um, 
you know, as far as goals against, I mean, that's something we want to work on as a team. We, we know that. So there can be a combination of, uh, you know, different players also, you know, players executing better. Uh, I think, you know, we showed when, when we're on our game, we can, we can be a really effective team. We, we just didn't have the consistency that you need if you want to be a top team. So, um, you know, there, there's going to be some new players next year without question. Um, that process is just starting right now. Um, you know, we, we finished the season a couple of days ago. We have a lot of, uh, a debrief to go on, uh, with, with the coaching staff and as well as you know, in management, that's really what we're spending our time on now is trying to look back, assess what was good, what wasn't. And then over the next series of weeks, we're going to, uh, make some decisions about areas that we can improve. It's a little bit early, though, to give you specifics on that right now. Now, we uh, talked earlier about some players that were having uh, some uneven seasons, some good, some bad. I'm thinking particularly Dylan Strong and Nikita Zadorov. I just wanted to get your thoughts on those two in particular. Sure. Um, You know, Dylan uh, started the season pretty good, and uh, he got hurt, and then he, he he played with it for a little bit. I don't We don't even know how long. And then, you know, he, he came forward and said that he had a concussion. So I think, you know, his play dropped a bit, but I think that's probably attributable to the, the concussion. And then he was out for a while. So when, when you come back, um, it, it, it takes some time to kind of get your rhythm and your timing. And by that point, our, our team had found its rhythm um, and he, he hadn't been in the lineup at that time. So it's trying to find his spot and you're coming back in. So I think it, that was, that was a challenge, uh, you know, to get his consistency. Um, I think Dylan would, would probably say the same thing. Like he had stretches where he was effective. I mean, you know, his production wasn't what it was in the past, but um, you know, that that's part of it. And that happens to not just, uh, Dylan, but happens to some other players and um, learning to to get that consistency is probably the the biggest thing that um, younger players, I mean, Dylan's still, you know, 24 years old. He's not been in the league that long. So he's, um, he's figuring that out. Uh, as far as Nikita goes, um, you know, he did a lot of really good things for us. I think uh, his issue wasn't really so much the same as Dylan, because I think, um, you know, maybe sometimes the, the, his role was different too. He was, you know, playing uh, against good players often. And when, if you're just a little bit off your game, um, when you're matched up against top players, um, that can be a challenge, but, you know, he did some really good things defensively for us. Uh, I think that's more his game anyway, is more of a defensive player, you know, not an offensive player. Um, you know, sure. I think he could have played better just like all of our guys had moments when they weren't at their best, but um, you know, it, it's hard to break down every player and maybe optically it looks different, but I think he, you know, for the most part, when he was on the ice, our, our team had a, a pretty good, pretty good job. You know, certainly Murph was our most consistent defenseman all year long. Um, but Nick, Nikita was in that top group of probably two or three who who played a lot against good players, um, and uh, he had some ups and downs. But uh, I think you know he, he he did show some strides of progress over the year. Obviously, expectations were a bit tempered this year, just knowing how how many young guys you were going to play 
what do you see being the next step in this, I guess, in this phase? And, you know, how, how soon do you see, you know, play expectations rising, you know, returning to be a cup contender again? It's a process. Uh, we, we did. We talked about that back in October before the year uh, started about this was um, a time when we were going to rebuild our roster and, you know, we were going to give opportunities to younger players. So that was the goal going into the year. Uh, I mean, I think that was certainly uh, a success from the opportunity that we gave and the number of players who not only got in the lineup, but played prominent roles. So from through that lens, it was a, uh, it was a successful year. Now what we need to do is continue that process. It's a process. It's not a, a one year thing. It's a process that takes time. It's, it's hard to map out the exact timeline on it because, um, this was a bit of an unusual season. Um, hopefully we're going to get back to a normal schedule next year where it's going to be you know, 82 games, but also spread out a bit. I think if you look back at our year, what I noticed the most was, you know, when we played well, when we were really on our game, we could play with anybody and we could beat anybody. Um, the challenge was um, when we didn't have everything going at one time, then it was hard for us. Uh, so we, our minimum level of performance isn't as high as some of the top teams. So if you look at those top teams, Tampa Bay, Florida, Carolina, they can play at like 70% and still find a way to, to win the game. And I feel like with our group, if, if we were playing at 70%, we wouldn't win those games. Um, we, we had to be really on it with our performance. And that part of that is learning as a young player. When we have as many young players is, is you have to figure out a way when you don't have your A game, you, you can't have your C game. You got to have at least a, a B game there so that you can stay competitive and then find a way to keep the game in reach and then get some points out of the games. I think that's a learning process for our team. That's really what I saw what happened. Uh, so when we were playing well for that stretch, um, if you look back, I think everybody was, was really focused. They, their details were good. And that gave our team a chance every night. And then when some when one area slipped, whether it was the the forwards, the D, the goaltending, the special teams, when one of those was was not sharp, um, we didn't have enough to overcome it. So as we go ahead to next year, your question was, what does it look like? Well, you know, hopefully we can bring in some some new players, whether they're players from within, players that we trade for or that we sign as free agents who can help bring that uh, the minimum level higher. And then also we need these young players to take the next step in their career. So the first step was getting into the league, um, showing that they can play. Now they have to take that next step to not only be in the league playing, but also to have their performance variability to be smoothed out. And when that happens, um, our team's going to have a chance to, to perform better. I just wanted to ask about Jonathan Tays. There was a report, obviously, that said he's likely coming back if things continue <laughs> the way they're going. Are you expecting him to come back? And when's the last time you talked to him? And how's he doing? Yeah, I talked to Jonathan a couple of weeks ago. He's doing well. Um, had a good chat. We talked for about 15, 20 minutes about a lot of things, you know, our team, but just uh, non-hockey stuff too. Uh, so it was good to connect with him and, and, uh, catch up. Uh, I think that's the update that I have though, John, I don't have anything more than that. 
we're, we're hopeful he'll be back, but we're just going to let it play out and we'll see. Um, it's a bit of uh, uncharted waters here. You know, this, this situation came up and we're just kind of taking as it, as it comes. So, you know, when we have more information, we'll pass that along. But um, I, I don't have another update on that right now. I wanted to ask you about the goaltending competition. <clears throat> I know going into the year, you wanted to give those three guys a shot to, to see what you had in them. Do you feel like Lankinen has separated himself and, and could be a potential um, number one starter for you guys moving forward? Well, yeah, I mean, Kevin had the longest run of the three during the season. I think, uh, you know, he he emerged um, as the guy that uh, stepped forward. But I think they all had their moments. Um, certainly Delia was later in the year, and Malcolm had some good stretches in the middle, uh, kind of in support of Kevin. So, you know, that was, that was an unknown coming into the year, how it would play out. But um, I remember saying early on that, we don't really know at this point which player is going to emerge or if one or two of them will. I think, I think Kevin probably took the biggest step forward, but I'm not sure that either any of them took a step backwards. I think it was, uh, it was great to see, you know, Kevin take that. It was a big workload, um, a lot of games in a short amount of time and his first experience with NHL action. I think he handled it well. So, um, I mean, we want everybody to look to be better. So I think we're going to challenge all three of them um, to to step up their game. But, uh, you know, I, th- I think when you look back at this season, I think you, you have to be uh, content with the way the goalies performed. So now all these young players have been uh, thrown into the fire. Uh, that's what this season was all about. And a good number of them uh, just got a taste of, okay, this is the league. Um, this is the caliber of player, caliber of opponent that we're going up against, and the Blackhawks in this division certainly got their heavy doses of that with the likes of Tampa Bay and Florida and Carolina. And you know, now there's uh, the the word rebuild was was used heavily, often going into this season, youth. But now, as we enter training camp of next year, there's a higher level of expectation, both from an individual. Uh, standpoint and and from a team standpoint of what guys now that they have that knowledge what you know uh, not so much a pew suitor but what Philip Kurashev has to do to take the next step Brandon Hagel as well although there's not a a whole lot you can complain about in terms of Hagel but the other guys like the Hardmans and the Entwistles and uh, you know the long list of defensemen from Kalanuk to Mitchell to Bodan uh, just to name a few now that level of expectation gets raised, and uh, we'll see how much better they are uh, now that uh, they'll be a little less green when they report to training camp in September. Yeah, I think the most important thing is, you know, this is just the floor, and the next step has to be an actual step. It can't be, oh, we're still figuring some things out. I mean, that growth will still be there, but again, this is a team that showed when it's firing on all cylinders, it can still compete with some of the better teams in the NHL. Now, now, granted, the majority of that was happening towards, let's see, the two-fifths of the season, three-fifths of the season, if I'm really breaking down the fractions. Um, and Stan Bowman and Jeremy Colleton both said, we still need to get to that level where, you know, our 100% isn't equitable to a Toronto, or I'm sorry, a Tampa Bay, a Carolina, 
a Florida's 100%. Mm-hmm. Those teams could play at 70%, and the Hawks could make do. I'm glad you brought that up, because that was a point I really enjoyed them making. Yeah. How, yeah. Their, how their floor is different than those teams' floors. Exactly. And, and the point being, a team like Carolina, Tampa Bay, or Florida can play at 70% and still find a way to win. Those are the Blackhawks of old. That's not the Blackhawks as of right now. And I, I think it was it was very important that Jeremy Colleton said we we can't be out or we we're going to be outskilled. That will happen time and time again. But we can't be outworked. We have to win those fifty fifty battles. We have to do a better job of transitioning through the neutral zone. And it's it's just those little things that cost the Hawks so much on their skid towards the end of the season that really dropped them out of, out of the playoff race. And, you know, that is that is to be expected with a very young team, but hopefully those young players now understand, hey, just because you, you won a handful of games against some very good teams earlier in the year doesn't make you a, a playoff team right then and there. It's, mm-hmm. it's about sustainability and it's about continuing that type of play and consistently and also adjusting your game because, yeah, they're able to hold their own against Tampa Bay for a couple of games, but then Nashville is the tallest mountain to climb yeah. every single <laughs> game. So so I, I think hopefully it's a big learning experience for a lot of these young guys because they got to experience both success and failure. And now hopefully they can differentiate the two and understand what it takes to stay on the successful time, not maybe every game, but at least for the majority of them. Yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, these guys, and, and you heard Stan, and uh, um, I'm not sure if it's a part of what we do with Jeremy. Uh, we'll hear from him a, b- a little bit later on, but uh, them talking about uh, these kids feeling the grind uh, and, and not being a normal season where it's 82 games over six months. This was 56, uh, you know, jammed into uh, basically four, and. You know, very rarely were there any more than two consecutive days off, and, and oftentimes it was a game every other day where a team that needs to practice with the makeup that it has didn't get that opportunity. And uh, now, knock on wood, if things become a little bit m- more back to normal, they have this experience under their belt and they can build from that. Um, and you also heard Stan talk about, and this is going to be perhaps the biggest storyline in the offseason, is whether Jonathan Taves will be ready to come back. Uh, in September, from whatever issue he has been dealing with, and it's been kept under wraps uh, uh, very well uh, by the team, by the captain himself, in, in terms of exactly what it is. Everyone's going to be curious about it. And basically, the last thing we heard before, what you just heard uh, Stan say, and Stan very non committal as well, but last thing we heard was about uh, three weeks ago when Darren Drager came on national television and did a hit and said, uh, you know, his health appears to be improving, and if he continues on his current trajectory, it is expected that Jonathan uh, will be ready for training camp in September. We certainly hope that is the case, and uh, whatever it is isn't something uh, long-term, uh, doesn't appear to be anything life- or career-threatening, at least at this stage from what we know. Uh, that's not a final answer I'm giving you, but uh, fr- from all indications are that uh, he's on a path to be back um, in September, and then the question remains whether that's been beneficial to him or taking an entire year off from hockey, uh, finding out whether the, the captain, uh, we hope it isn't the case, but is no longer that the player that we've come to know over the course of the past 10 or 12 years. Yeah, it's very interesting to think about how different this team is without Jonathan Taves and how different this year would have been with him. 
Um, on on both sides, really, I, clearly the Hawks are, are better off with a skilled Jonathan Taves and a healthy Jonathan Taves on the ice. But when you take out the captain, the main leader, I mean, it's pretty much all for Jeremy Colleton to, you know, kind of give the orders. And I'm not saying that Jonathan Taves and Jeremy Colleton have conflicting orders, but we talked about the unique circumstance of this year with so many players being out gives Jeremy Colleton the opportunity to play so many young players and and give them the opportunity to play consistently. So it's it's very interesting to, to think about how this year would have went differently if Jonathan Taves was here. Now, with all that being said, obviously we hope nothing but the best for Jonathan Taves. Clearly there have been crazy rumors that have swirled. Nothing has been able to back up any of those crazy rumors. Um, you wish that there were votes of confidence to squash those rumors, too. I, I think that's the only thing that's keeping Blackhawk fans on edge because, for the most part, people just want Jonathan Taves to be okay. Yeah, of course, everyone wants him to be back in the ice, but they, they want him to be okay because of everything that he has done for the city and done for the organization. So, uh, that is the first and foremost thought of Jonathan Taves' future. And the Darren Dreger news is promising or at least hopeful. It's, it's uh, definitely a bright spot and you hope there's nothing... But more of that moving forward, and I just, I just hope for, you know, whatever. I, I guess rumors are going to happen regardless. But I, I just, I, I always, <laughs> I always feel like it's so unfair to shine a bad light on Jonathan Taves, whether it's true or not. And clearly, it's out of his control. But the, the, the guy has done just so much, and he's just one of the most prominent role models of hockey. It's it's just always just so demeaning when mm. when things get brought up that are just a rumor about him, uh, as far as we know right now. So so hopefully it's just more of positive news about his future, and and we hope nothing but Jonathan Taves is available for the Blackhawks next year. Yep, and and uh, on the ice, it certainly had an effect. Just all you have to you don't have to go any further than the faceoff dot and the yep. trickle down effect. Of, of how that affected this team when David Camp, who doesn't, in all honesty, doesn't come close to providing the offensive <laughs> offensive firepower that the captain does when he's a guy uh, that is the only guy over 50% on the team and you had a guy like Jonathan who could go into any situation, whether it's a penalty kill or a power play um, or just an important uh, zone face-off at any point in the game, um, not having that two-way talent and a guy who, for his career, I think is like 56% uh, at the face-off dot, that, was a, that created such a trickle-down effect on this team offensively. And so let's hear from his running, running mate. Uh, you know, there's, there's uh, John and Paul, there's, uh, there's Keith and Mick, and uh, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves have been joined at the hip here in the Blackhawks organization since uh, the uh, 2007-2008 season. And uh, Patrick and everybody obviously missed him. So let's hear a little bit from Patrick Kane in his session with the media on Tuesday. And he talks about um, the difficulties that they had, um, you know, in any situation not having a guy like Jonathan out there on the ice for the entire season and and what a trickle-down effect it had. Um, You know, he also alludes to the fact that 
he isn't totally healthy. He's been dealing with something dating back, I guess, about a year before going into the bubble. Uh, an issue that you know he doesn't indicate necessarily needs surgery, but he's not going to the World Championships, which is you know very rare for him. He's also a dad, by the way. So here he touches on a number of subjects about uh, how this team can improve defensively, and I'll circle back to that when when Patrick's done. Before we hear from Jeremy Carlton as well, the absence of Taves and the greater leadership role that, that Patrick and some others took upon themselves also without, you know, Brent Seabrook and eventually Andrew Shaw, the state of the team as he now heads into the final two years of that 10 year contract, um, uh, how he thinks things are going. He evaluates his own season here and very, uh, a little bit self-critical. The fact that he only had four goals over the final 33 games, it just seemed to shut down uh, after he scored his 400th career goal. Nevertheless, he ends up, uh, as we speak here in the final week of the season, I believe, second or third in assists and sixth in points despite scoring only 15 goals, which is really amazing. Here's Patrick Kane from Tuesday after uh, the regular season ended with Monday's 5-4 overtime loss to Dallas. Obviously, you know, not happy about the, the goal production, but, um, you know, I'm, I guess I'm happy that I still found a way to produce um, given that that wasn't there for me this year, so... Just, um, you know, got to figure that out. Obviously, not too concerned about it because I feel like, I, you know, I can score goals and uh, can be a, a big-time goal producer in the league. Just got to uh, um, maybe figure out how to uh, um, find a way to, uh, you know, get to the net a little bit more maybe or get more chances or, you know, obviously with, with the way our team plays now. Um, it's not so much puck possession as it is, you know, moving the puck ahead and tracking it down. So, you know, I've been used to, you know, playing that puck possession game my whole career, so it's a little bit different, but just got to find a way to, to create no matter what the situation is. So, um, you know, looking forward to, to bouncing back next year. Jeremy obviously leaned on you pretty heavily this year. How are you physically after a season like this? I'm good. I'm good. You know, body feels really good. I got, you know, one little issue that, uh, you know, I've kind of been dealing with um, maybe up until, uh, you know, even even before the bubble, uh, before the bubble and playoffs. So trying to figure that out and, uh, you know, hopefully it's, you know, nothing too serious, but hopefully uh, just get it fixed and, and not have to worry about it uh, um, next year. So, um, but besides that, I mean, you know, conditioning and uh, being able to play uh, a lot of minutes. I feel really good about that and uh, and happy with, with um, where all that is at. You you obviously were on board with the, the rebuild and kind of the statement before the season. How, how do you feel like it played out and were you really happy with you, what you guys accomplished, you know, aside from not making the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if, uh, you know, anything really changed from uh, from the past couple of years, to be honest with you. That's kind of the message we got from from management and coaches that, you know, we're, we're still trying to win. And, um, I think we're just being a little bit more transparent with, uh, with the fans and, um, and the media as well. So, you know, our viewpoint going into it was that nothing's really changing and, uh, you know, we're still trying to win. So, but yeah, you know, you keep missing the playoffs It obviously, um, it's, it becomes depressing, you know, I mean, you want to, uh, you want to be playing in the, in the big games and the big moments and, you know, it's obviously tough. And I think you can, uh, you know, at the end of the year, I mean, it'd be easy to, you know, point fingers and different things as to, to why we missed the playoffs, but you take it upon yourself to um, look at what you did and, and what you could have done to help this team even more. And obviously I look at my season 
you know, when I was producing a lot and, uh, and had a big start to the season, you know, we were, we were in a playoff position. So obviously that didn't continue and you see, uh, see, we kind of faded out of uh, a playoff position. So, you know, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think those two things go, those two things go hand in hand and, you know, um, in the future, just got to produce, uh, you know, more consistently and, uh, and, uh, you know, be better for the team. So, um, you know, I'm looking to, to have a good summer, rest up and get myself ready to, uh, to come back next year and, uh, um, be a man on a mission to help get this team into, into the playoffs, because that's where we all want to be. And, uh, you know, as far as the team, I think, you know, there's uh, a lot of young guys that played this year. Um, I think we had like 10 rookies in the lineup, uh, the other night. So, um, you know, a lot of opportunity for those young guys to play and, um, you know, hopefully we can all have a good summer here and, and get ready to, uh, you know, stop thinking about like, you know, young guys and opportunities and, uh, um, get ourselves back to winning games and, and, and do a playoff position. You obviously have two years left in your contract here. Do you, are you, do you feel good about the trajectory? Do you see your guys selves becoming cup contenders again while, you know, while in this contract? I mean, you hope so. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's a great organization, great city to play in. Um, obviously, I've had some great moments here. And, uh, you know, there's nowhere you'd rather play than here. So, you know, hopefully, um, you know, we have a winning team. Obviously, two years is seems like a short amount of time, but it's still a, a long time away. So, um, you know, there's no sense of thinking about what's going to happen, you know, down the road. I think for me, it's just important about, you know, having a good summer, getting myself healthy and, uh, doing what I can to help the team come, uh, come next training camp. How weird was this season without Jonathan Taves and how, how much are you looking forward to hopefully getting him back into the mix next year? Yeah. I miss him in a lot of ways. Um, off the ice, obviously he's a great leader. Um, good friend, great friend. You miss him just in that sense. And then obviously, uh, you know, on the ice for me, um, I think it makes things a lot easier too, because, you know, you kind of, you know, whether we're playing together or not, you have that one, two punch that gives, uh, you know, the other team something to think about, about who they're going to offend or, you know, obviously I got to be more aware when he's on the ice and, uh, you know, I can come up next and maybe get easier matchups, things like that. So you miss him a lot in the face off department. I think, uh, we saw that a lot with the power play this year. Um, um, you know, it's, gets to a point where it becomes, you know, frustrating where you're losing the draws and, and you got to start on the breakout on the power play. I think he was so good at that. You kind of took that for granted where you're always starting the puck in the offensive zone. And um, it seems like when we did that this year, we had, you know, a little bit more success and uh, and could create a little bit more. So miss him there. Obviously, there's a bunch of other ways we miss him, but, um, you know, you expect him to be back next year. Hopefully he's back. And uh, he's obviously a huge part of the team and the organization. How much did you embrace being in that leadership role? I just think back to even the last three games where there's no Duncan, there's no Brent, there's no Jonathan. Those are the guys that wear the letters. And did you like playing that leadership role and kind of mentoring some of these young guys this year? Yeah, it's good. I think everyone does it in a different way. You know, obviously there was a lot of help this year with, you know, guys like, you know, Dunks being around and uh, Murph stepping up and Debrinkat stepping up, um, Shazi when he was in there. You know, I think I remember the the first, you know, three or four years of my career, I was the youngest guy on the team. And then here I am at, 
32 and I think I was the oldest guy by like four or five years in the last couple of games. So it's, um, it's pretty crazy how it comes full circle. I think you mentioned Siebs. He's another guy that we miss just having around, you know, he's obviously a great guy to have in the locker room, you know, sets a lot of things up for the team, for the guys. Um, I know that, you know, those are things you take for granted as well. And he's just so good at him because he's just a, a natural, you know, leader and a great teammate. So um, we missed having him around as well. And all of a sudden you're missing your, your two biggest leaders. It, uh, um, it's a different situation for all of us. So I think um, a lot of guys are called upon to do more. And I think a lot of guys did a good job at, at stepping up to, uh, to answer the bell. What do you think that the team just needs to do to get over the hump to, you know, to get back into the playoffs, get those four or five extra victories, you know, to get into the fourth seed or seventh, eighth seed as in a normal year? You know, the biggest thing is probably just getting off to a good start. Um, I think when you get off to a good start in the season, you set yourself up to, uh, to be in a good position. If you have, you know, certain, you know, slumps or lulls here or there, um, it's not that big of a deal if you do that. You know, when you you don't have a good start, it puts you right out of the playoff uh, playoff position. So, um, and then obviously, I think the biggest thing was, you know, winning the the important games down the stretch. You know, we had that three game series with Nashville that didn't go as well for us, and then it was, you know, pretty much must win after that. So um, that's kind of something that we struggled with the past couple of years. But um, you know, hopefully, we can uh, come back with a good team next year have some good players and, uh, you know, try to put it all together. So, you know, I think we're all kind of sick of missing the playoffs around here. And even though it was like, uh, you know, it seemed like a longer season, it was only 56 games. And now it's crazy to think that it's, uh, that it's already over. So um, we all wish we were still playing. With the level that you're used to playing at for so many years and obviously going through a rebuild, does it ever wear on you uh, mentally or emotionally, especially, you know, given, all the guys that you guys were missing and, and bringing up like 10 rookies in your, your last game. So, so many young guys. Uh, yeah, for sure. It does. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not fun missing the playoffs and it's not fun when you're going home after, you know, more games than not, and you're frustrated and, uh, you know, either, you know, not happy about losing or not happy about the way you played. Um, so yeah, definitely. You know, takes a toll. So, um, like I said, it'll be nice to just kind of get away for a little bit here and regroup and come back fresh and energized next year. When you talk about trying to make the playoffs, one one kind of common thread that's even gone back to to Joel's last year or two: shots against and goals against, and that's uh, been a pretty consistent problem for the last several years. Is that the main thing that needs to be figured out here on the ice in order to uh, get back to the postseason? Yeah, I think we've always had teams that that can score, and um, that's really never been a problem uh, ever since I've been here in Chicago. So I think it is about tightening up defensively, and um, I think a lot of the ways we can do that is just by, you know, hanging on to the puck and uh, and making it harder for teams to get the puck from us and, uh, you know, playing the offensive zone a little bit more. Um, it seems like we get the puck a lot and we just kind of throw it away. And then all of a sudden they have possession again. And, uh, you know, I think we need guys to to take pride in getting the puck, either making a good play to your teammate or setting up a teammate uh, um, or also just skating it yourself and protecting it and hanging on to it. And 
uh, making it harder for teams to to get it off you. So I think that could go a long way. Um, but yeah, obviously we need to like tighten up our defensive end and um, what we're giving up in in uh, in that zone. So um, I'm sure that's something that we'll be stressed at training camp and talked about. And uh, you know, hopefully we can be better in that area. So, yeah, I asked Patrick there about uh, something that has not, unfortunately, been changing and has been a common thread here with the Blackhawks missing the playoffs over the since the 2016-2017 uh, season. And that's acknowledging the fact that it was a greater playoff field last summer when they did get back to play uh, 24 teams instead of the usual 16, allowing the Blackhawks to go in. But this year, uh, they finished 25th in goals against average. Uh, last year, it was tied for 16th. Thank you, Corey Crawford, and thank you, Robin Leonard, because a lot of the same issues were happening in front of those two guys. The year before that, they finished 30th in goals against. The year prior to that, tied for 24th. And yes, some of that has to do also with the absences of Corey Crawford with his uh, concussion things. But shots against per game. They finish right now. They didn't finish because the season is still going on for others. 30th in shots against. Last year, 31st. Two years ago, 30th. So that continues to be an issue. And even the numbers were starting to slip when Joel Quenville was, was still here. We, we started seeing defensive issues and, and uh, coverage and structural problems. Uh, we saw the tip of that iceberg uh, in Joel's final season or two. So uh, people can be critical of kind of the man-and-a-half defensive system that Jeremy's tried to implement here and he has a ton of rookies that he was trying to coach up and, and deal with but first and foremost more than anything philosophically that is something if they're going to take a next step is going to need improvement here or else they'll be sitting out here looking on the outside from the outside looking in on the playoffs uh for the next couple of years, it's it's something that they they definitely need to finally address and fix here. And Jeremy Colleton kind of acknowledged it too when he talked, talking about uh, needing to create more in transition, or if we dump it in, we need to hold it there longer. And I almost wonder if it's kind of a, a staggered skill set on this Hawks team. I mean, yeah, when you've got Kane and Debrinket coming down. Of course, they've got chemistry. They kind of can read each other's minds. They know what they're going to do with the puck. When it's just Kane or, you know, whatever the circumstance is, he's he's looking for the right pass. He's he's slowing the action down, and he's not complimented with as much talent as he's been in the past. And the circumstances where they need to dump it in and hold it there longer. A lot of times the Hawks are mismatched size-wise. So it's it's just kind of that staggered skill set that, that they got to play to their strengths in the right times, and I think that's what's been difficult for them to kind of create a good rhythm or a good flow offensively because it's one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And we saw so many times where the Hawks had a difficult time just transitioning through the neutral zone, or not even that, making it difficult for the opposition to enter into the Hawks zone. It's it's a lot of times they're kind of skating on their skating backwards, you know, 
adjusting to how aggressive the opposing offense is. It's it's not very preventative, and I, I think that's what costs them moving on. And, and, you know, you see it in the numbers. And we've also talked about when Patrick Kane doesn't score, this is a much different Blackhawks team. So, of course, Patrick Kane is going to be the leading scorer on this team, but there's a difference between him being the leading scorer and always relying on him to get the offense going. And luckily, Alex Dabrinkit filled that role for a good amount this season, but a lot of times it still wasn't enough. I mean, when those guys don't score, it's it's kind of slim pickings, or it's rookie insert name here scoring their first goal of the season, which was fun to to follow along with this year. But but those are some of the holes I think you're still seeing in this Hawks offense. And I, I don't necessarily uh, Patrick's response that was kind of disappointing to me because of, of course you want to possess the puck in order to help those defensive numbers. But first and foremost. You need to take care. Of, you need to get the puck first, yes. and 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 uh, not be pinned into your own zone. So first things first. It's something that does need fixing because it's not as simple as possessing the puck. Because in order to get the puck, you know, you got to prevent the other team from having it, having it, uh, having it so much. Right. And the other factor here, of course, the Blackhawks were they had those. That was a year long issue once again. Um, nothing different from January to here, the first week or two of May. But the thing that offset that earlier in the season was, of course, the power play. So we'll split this directly in half because the success and, and, and slumping of the power play pretty much can be drawn at the exact halfway point of the season. Through the first 28 games, the power play was at 31%. No, you can't, you can't ask for that to continue. But in the final 28 games, it dropped to 12.6%. Um, about 12.5%. So um, that fixes a lot of blemishes if that power play is clicking like that. The biggest blemish being their defensive issues. But once that power play dried up, and it also coincides with uh, the exact halfway point point of the season, I think, was right after the three-game series against uh, Tampa Bay, and they headed to Dallas on uh, a six-game trip against the Stars, the Panthers, and the Lightning. That's when these other teams started to lock it down, start building momentum the second half of the season, uh, and those are quality teams as well. Maybe Dallas not so much uh, this season with all the injuries that they had, but right at that halfway point, we knew March was going to be a challenge, and that coincided with the, with the power play kind of uh, fading off and... and um, Regress to the mean, I guess, is the phrase you can use. Well, how many times have we seen this power play just kind of becoming contagious and then the Hawks have trouble getting that jump start uh, to get their offense going? Like, normally, it's just kind of all in a sealed vacuum and it's only the power play, but I, I think it can really b- work both ways. And again, going back to when the Hawks were playing well, it was either they were able to hold their own on five on five and capitalize on the special teams or vice versa and once like you said once that ran dry that that kind of took a toll on the team as well and it goes back to what we were talking about too earlier about opposing teams who are who have more skill only needing to place at 70 percent in order Mm -hmm. to sneak away a victory yeah because you could take a game where the Hawks are out shooting Carolina, but you give the Hurricanes a couple of power plays, and they'll probably capitalize, yeah. and then that'll make the difference in the game. So that's, that is another feature that's going to separate the Hawks from really good teams uh, or until they get to become a really good team, and then they can capitalize on those opportunities and, and really make something of it. Yeah, and, and the other speed bump that happened, 
special teams wise was was uh, the penalty kill was very uh, pretty good at the start of the season. Then they fell into a vacuum of fifteen game stretch where they allowed seventeen power play goals by the opponents in fifteen games. Ended up pretty well. They only allowed seven power play goals in the last twenty three games, but they were also a lot more disciplined. They weren't going to the box nearly as much. There were a couple, several games there where they had. You know, uh, I think there were twice, two games recently. Uh, um, I think even one of the, the first game against Dallas here this past weekend, they didn't have any penalties at all. There was another instance, I think, like that in the final weeks. But most of the time, Hawks were only taking one or two penalties a game. So that certainly helps the penalty kill uh, as well. Um, obviously, one of the interesting storylines that we touched on was Jonathan Taves. The other interesting things here is how the Blackhawks are going to proceed with Dylan Strom, who has one year left on his contract. Uh, that he signed uh, right before this season began, uh, right before the opener, as a matter of fact. Um, a great season of opportunity for Dylan um, with Taves out, Doc out, as it turns out, until late March. But all Dylan was able to do was score nine goals, 15 points, and he was a healthy scratch for four of the final 10 games. So. He's under contract. You assume he is going to be back, um, you know, uh, unless they they find a deal. And the other one is Nikita Zadorov, who said during his exit interviews with the media um, that some contract talks have begun with uh, with Stan Bowman. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to come to an agreement, depending on on what uh, what Zadorov will be asking for. Um, but again, a very inconsistent performance by him, and that was the big question with him coming to the Blackhawks, was consistency. Flashes here and there, yes, but but not enough. And before we hear from, from Jeremy Carlton here speaking about Dylan Strome, um, those are some big question marks heading into the offseason about these guys are, are still relatively young. Strome, 24, just turned 24 in March, I believe. Zadorov is 25 or 26. But uh, how much at least in Zadorov's case, how much they want to invest in him with you know, the, these large crop of young defensemen um, and, and whether the element that he provides is worth the price tag he might be looking for. And that's what's unfortunate, too, because I think that that's, that's somewhat of an Achilles heel for the Hawks right now is their lack of size, especially on the defensive side. So, you know, Nikita Zadorov is pretty much it, and there were a lot of things that Hawks fans weren't impressed by him this season. The Dylan Strome situation, and, and keep in mind, my prediction at the beginning of the year, unfortunately failed miserably, I said that Dylan Strom is going to take off and, and get back to his peak form. See, I forgot. If you wouldn't have brought that up, I totally <laughs> forgot that. I, I, I can't tease you about it. Well, now. and I, I bring it up because of this. And I, I listen, I'm not giving Dylan Strom a pass, but I think it, it does need to be recognized the things that Stan Bowman brought up. He, he, was, he spent some time on the injured list. And you know what? Kudos to him for bringing up, because, I mean, it was, it was a concussion situation, right, yeah. with Dylan Strom? Yeah. I mean, you talk about a guy that's had to deal with some rough years and trying to prove himself and isn't quite doing that, he doesn't want to get taken off the ice. He, he wants to right the wrong. He wants to get back into the swing of things of, of how well he was doing. And, I mean, a couple of years ago, if, if all this concentration on the severity of how concussions really are, he might not do that. He might not go out of his way to, to tell the coach tell the trainer hey you know what just this this thing has been bugging me and i am a little worried about it i mean so 
I, I think not again, not so much a pass, but I think we need to bring that to light. That being said, you expressed the numbers on Dylan Strom. He was a minus sixteen this year. Yeah. Um and it, it was a tough year for him also playing out of position. But um I, I don't think that Dylan Strom hasn't had his chances even before this year. Um Again, I just kind of wanted to bring that to light. Are we, we are going to talk about the goaltending at the end of the sure. podcast, yeah. right? I just yeah. feel like we are we are hitting a lot of lows. Obviously, there's a lot of positives for this team, um, but you know, there's there's a lot of things that need to be cleared up and a lot of holes that need to be filled in order for them to actually make it a Stanley Cup contention team rather than just hmm, can this team make the playoffs? The Strom uh, ended up playing 40 games, 15 points, as we mentioned a little bit earlier. He provided that sliver of hope in the last game with a goal and an assist. So, um, uh, yeah, I, Dylan Strom, I would think, will be back. But, um, man, uh, this was going to be an important season for him. It didn't turn out as it as it did. And uh, now the, the competition will ramp up for him if he's still on this roster uh, come training camp in September. Without further ado, uh, let, let's get to Jeremy Carlton before uh, we wrap up and give some final thoughts here. Jeremy, uh, again, not everything that he shared with the media. We've kind of pared things down to about 10, 11 minutes here. But uh, among the topics here, um, closing uh, the gap. Uh, you'll hear him also talk about trying to close the gap. That's the next step when it comes two elite uh, facing those uh, elite teams uh, and closing the gap with those elite teams. How much progress was made defensively here? You'll hear him expand on that a little bit and, and fulfilling the identity he wants uh, this team to have. I asked him that question that you'll hear coming up here. But again, first and foremost here, we begin uh, with Jeremy Collison talking about Dylan Strom's season. Strom is still a young player. He's, he's, a, he's a great kid. I like working with him. Uh, obviously we, we can all see the, the offensive skill and vision that he has. Um, it's just as a young player in the league, still trying to find a, a consistency and, and being able to contribute and, and, um, help the team win, even when you're not producing. And this year didn't come as, as easily for him as far as putting points up. And that's, there's going to be times like that. And, and the challenge is, is finding a way to help the team win even when you're not getting the bounces or the, the pucks aren't going in. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll keep working with him and we feel there's still, there's still upside to his game. Um, but it's, you know, defensively being on the right side of the puck all the time and, and getting body position and using your body to, you don't have to run guys over, but to win pucks back and, and win 50 fifties. And, um, that'll be, I think to me, that's the next step in his development. You got a pretty good look of Vegas in the playoffs last year, and then and obviously Florida, Tampa, and Carolina were among the probably the league best this year. What do you need to do to close that gap, and how, how soon can you see that happening? Yeah, well, I think we're getting there. We made some strides this year. I think when you look back to the to the bubble and, and that series against Vegas, like we just felt like we didn't have enough depth. I thought we played hard and and we competed, and and the details of our game uh, were were pretty good, but we just couldn't sustain it. Uh, at that level for long enough. And so that's one of the things going into the season is we, we got to develop more players and, and more, more guys who can contribute to winning nightly. And so, you know, we, we played a lot of young guys and, and they got a lot of opportunity and it wasn't just, you know, playing the fourth line, getting eight minutes or, you know, it was playing big roles. And uh, I think that's, they're going to be better for it in, in the years ahead and certainly looking to next year, having more competition, 
for roster spots and, and style of play. We, we want to be harder to play against. We want to have more pressure on the puck, uh, play a relentless style, be, have the capability of, of being a hard for checking team, more physical, more guys who finish checks. And especially when you go into playoff series, you got to have that element where you're, you're, you're getting in on their D and, and finishing and, and, uh, you know, wearing them down. We, we still, you know, we have some skill guys and we want to be able to score off the rush and be dynamic and transition. Um, I think there's more to get there being better on breakouts and, and things like that, but against teams that really clog it up and, and uh, you know, they're trying to neutralize our skill with their work ethic and, and uh, you know, maybe having more numbers back, it's, it's going to be hard to outskill teams. We're going to have to be able to grind teams to, to create offense and win two, one or three, two. And um, so we got to continue to develop that side of our, our game. For you personally, how do you feel like you've grown as a coach um, this season? I mean, obviously you face adversity every single year that you've been a head coach, but how do you feel like you can you know, take some learning lessons from this year as a coach and, and apply it into the summer and even next season as well. Well, I think every year you, you go through you, you, you face situations and, and uh, you gain experience and that's going to shape you going forward. And you're not going to tackle, uh, you know, the problem, the same, probably um, there's things that you learn and you try different things. And um, that's, that's part of, you know, I, I think I've, probably said this exact same thing last year in in the in this uh media situation like i i need to get better every year i hope i'm a way better coach in five years than i am now i think i'm a better coach now than i was when i came so um you know getting feedback from stan and and uh you know the different the other coaches and and uh obviously communicating with the players and what ideas they may have that's part of the process of, of getting better. And um, I'm looking forward to it. Well, you said, you know, you want to continue to possibly change things tactically. You're always talking about things like that. Something Kane said yesterday was interesting just about how he's always been used to playing on a puck possession team, but he seems like, you know, you guys have a tendency to throw the puck away. All of a sudden the other team's got it. Do you get talk about that a little bit more about guys, you know, driving with the puck themselves, keeping on their sticks and maybe getting a little bit back to that more. Yeah. We, we want to have the puck. No doubt about that. We want to have it as much as we can. We want to have it in the offensive zone. That's that's where you, I think it's it's not so much about having the puck in your half of the rink. We want to get it in their end and and then hold it down there. And so there's a lot of things that go into it. You know, we want to be stronger on the puck uh, when we have it, so we can drive it through the neutral zone. I think that's one thing we talked about a lot. Versus, you know, teams like Nashville who do a good job of having numbers back and clogging it up. We got to be strong so we can get through the neutral zone. Sometimes you're going to have to chip it. You know, I mean, dump and chase is not, that's like the third or fourth option that you want to get to, uh, but it's still better than turning it over. So we want to, we want to carry it through neutral zone. We want to carry it into the zone. We want to make plays through the neutral zone, make plays into the zone. Uh, part of how you do that is you, you have work ethic to force turnovers to get pucks back quick so that you can advance it with less resistance so you can create more in transition. Uh, so, and then it's easier. You create off the rush or you're able to drive it deep in the offensive zone. Once we get it down there, 
we need to hold it there longer. We need to protect it more. We need to use our body to protect it, uh, win 50-50s to, to maintain possession, change in the offensive zone. That's, that's going to help us be more of a possession team. And, and when we do that, our skill players, they're going to be put in better positions to produce and have success. I mean, to Kaner's credit, he, he found a way anyway to, to put up pretty good numbers. But I think he, he's a guy who's never satisfied. Uh, and that's part of why he's so good. And we're not satisfied either. We want to, we want to score more goals. Uh, it'll help us defensively as well. I think that's part of where we can improve defensively is, is have the puck more, have the puck in the offensive zone more, uh, not have to defend so much when we do win the puck back, find a way to exit our end and get it all the way down. Um, I think often when we, we struggle defensively, it's because we won the puck back in, in our D zone, but then we don't get out and then you have to defend again. And then that's like, wears you down and you, you end up having to defend tired. And, and that's when you make mistakes. So, um, you know, that's, there's lots of room for improvement and, and we're going to spend a lot of time in the off season, uh, working at that. And obviously, you know, dur- during the season practice, working on our, our habits and our details so we can become more of a, drive and play with the puck. How, how satisfied are you uh, with the way the, the team moved toward the identity that you would like it to have? And, and how would you evaluate the progress um, or lack of defensively? Yeah, well, we, we definitely made progress uh, mentality wise. I think that, you know, especially obviously early um skating and pressure on the puck and and work ethic away from the puck. And then we had it more. And then we're able to to create those transition chances and and create more zone time offensively, uh, draw more penalties and and the results followed. And I thought, uh, you know, as the year went on, we we had so many, uh, the the young players in their first seasons uh, were such a big part of that, that drive, uh, that we had in our team and, and such a big part of us being competitive. And I thought as the season went on the schedule and just the load of games, um, not so much physically, but mentally um, warmed down a little bit. And, and so I, you know, we just, we had a hard time keeping that level up. Uh, we didn't practice as much in the second half, which I thought details wise um, made it hard. Uh, just by by necessity, we we felt like we needed to give guys more of a rest, but we got to continue to build on that. And uh, that to me, that's that's how we're going to get to be an elite team again is is by sustaining uh, that type of approach for longer. And a big part of that is just developing these guys, helping them understand what they need to do to have success in the league, them getting more comfortable with as a professional how to prepare every night so that even when you're not at your best, your minimum level is higher and then we can still win with that level. And, uh, that, you know, this year was a big learning experience in in that way for us. I mean, defensively, you know, we, we know we got to keep improving and, and, uh, so we got to practice, you know, we got to keep practicing and, and that's, you know, also it's video, um, you know, continuing to show these guys the, the details of the game that are going to help you defend better. Um, I think 
a lot of it is is just continuing to you know be on the right side of the puck, keep body position. Um, how can you get stops in different situations? Uh, and then I think I, I talked about it earlier. When we do have the puck, we got to advance it. We got to get through the neutral zone. We got to drive it deep, get it all the way in, spend more time in the offensive zone. So you don't have to defend as much. I think a lot of the, the issues that we sometimes have are just because we don't get out clean the first time, whether that's off the entry, like off their forecheck or after we win the puck back, uh, finding a way to get it out, get it in and either get fresh guys on or sustain some offensive zone time, protect it down there and, and start to build momentum in the game. Jeremy talking about closing the gap on elite teams. So let's fast forward here to the 2021-2022 season when the Blackhawks are expected to be back in their normal division. So here's what we're looking at here when we're talking about elite teams. Blackhawks ended up with 55 points in 56 games. Colorado, whose season isn't done, would be in first in the Central Division, 78 points, followed by Minnesota, 75. That's 20 more points than the Blackhawks, and I think they still have a game or two to go as we record here. Nashville would finish third with 64 points. Uh, Winnipeg would finish fourth with 61. Dallas would finish fifth with 60. St. Louis would finish 6th with 59 points. And the Blackhawks would finish 7th with 55. And Arizona, which will be in the Blackhawks division next year, just one point behind the Blackhawks with 54. There are going to be a lot of elite teams back in the Central Division that the Blackhawks are going to be seeing a whole lot of next season. And that adds to the urgency we were talking about earlier about these young players needing to take the next step. Yeah, and there won't be the extra playing round like last year right. to, to help <laughs> and save the Blackhawks' playoff odds. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, again, I, I think Jeremy Colleton puts it well when he said, like you mentioned, uh, closing the gap. Um, because, again, I, th- I think that's what got exposed this year. The Blackhawks showed what they're capable of, but that's in a circumstance where they're playing that the best that they possibly can and the other team maybe is not at 100% at that moment but the Blackhawks took advantage of the situation okay that's got to be your floor moving forward and obviously you can't control how how much effort the other team is going to give so you need to make sure you out effort them on those opportunities that you can um can I move to the goal? Can we move to the goaltender? Yeah, want I just wanted more? to add that right right now it looks like you know based on position the Hawks when the draft comes about they'll be around twelfth, okay. give or take a couple of spots there. Yeah, let's, let's go to the goaltender. And along those lines, um, of all the rookies that you saw this year, yeah. um, let's just pick out a handful. Who who do you think ends up being the most uh, impactful player of uh, Pew Suter of Wyatt Kalanick of, um, you know, do we want to throw Ian Mitchell in there? Brandon Hagel? Brandon Brandon Hagel. Kevin Lankinen. Ooh. Lankinen's the one that makes it difficult, but I would still go with Brandon Hagel. Um, just because I, I, from a consistency standpoint, I feel when, when, like... I'm talking about when we look back on their careers. Oh, look back on... Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> totally different conversation then. Um, man, I don't know. You know what? It, it almost seems like... So this is what I was going to say. Brandon Hagel, 
um, was was the most consistent player out of those that you offered. Kevin Lankinen probably had the highest ceiling of performance and maybe expectations um, just because of what he was able to do for a shorter sample size of consistency. You know, he was able to do it game after game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I can kind of see that being the case for their careers moving forward, yeah. too. Like, you know what you're going to get from Brandon Hagel. You're not quite sure what you're going to get from Kevin Lankinen, but it could be a very high ceiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, we we ate up everything he had to say at the beginning of the year. He was <laughs> yes. he was just so charismatic. And, and I love the Brandon Hagel-Andrew Shaw comparison. I mean, he immediately makes himself a fan favorite and uh, you know, like some people have said, you you got all those Andrew Shaw comparisons, but also Hagel's got a little bit more skill, possibly, and and a little bit faster, and and just able to make things happen a little bit more. So, I am definitely excited to see where his career takes off. Um, the whole Kevin Lankin and Malcolm Subban, Colin Delia situation is just so interesting because we didn't really know who would perform this year. All of them pretty much did at some point. And we don't know what's going to happen next year because there is an expansion draft, and mm-hmm. we don't know which goalie the Blackhawks are going to are going to go with moving forward, and who's going to have the better year next year. So that's that's all very interesting. But but what a fun ride it had been on that merry-go-round of goalies this year. Yeah, and I think uh, Lankinen's definitely in the driver's seat. Yeah, you know he, he's put himself in the driver's seat. He will be the goalie they protect in the expansion draft, and uh, I I think you know fairly simply and easily he is viewed right now as the guy mm-hmm. moving forward. Now how does how how does he? Um, you know, he, he seemed to wear down a little bit towards the end of the season. You know, th- that grind kind of getting to him like it does with a lot of the rookies as he uh, ends up playing in 37 games. Got yanked uh, a time or two down the stretch. Finished strong with that uh, Sunday performance against the Dallas Stars. Really finished strong uh, with the fans that were in the house yes. uh, <laughs> and being named the number one star. Um so he, I, I think he's easily in the driver's seat, and the curious thing will be, you know, we saw what a talent like Carter Hart of Philadelphia did, gangbusters his rookie season, and then he got punched in the mouth a whole lot here in his sophomore season as the league gets to know him. Um, so how Kevin Lincoln responds here in year number two is going to be real interesting in, in finding out uh, whether he is the guy. Right now he is that goalie, I think, right. moving forward for the Blackhawks, too. Yeah, no, and, and I'd agree, and I you know, I, I was thinking that too with the previous things I said. But you know, how does that work out for the other players then? I mean, does does a Malcolm Subban get picked up in the expansion draft, or is it Colin Delia? And yeah. then now there's going to be a lot of goalies available for Seattle. To yeah, that's true. From. That's true. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it just makes it all that much more interesting. And uh, again, we talked about it the last podcast, but Colin Delia stuck with it. I mean, he, he yeah. kept playing a a very impressive. Um, performance in between the pipes and you know I, I wanted to say this at the beginning of the podcast when we talked about the fans coming back but as as happy as I am for the Blackhawks fans finally able to go back to the United Center I think I was most happy for Kevin Lankinen because that's exactly what he said he missed <laughs> yeah. out on at the beginning of the year when he had you know just daydreamt about playing in the NHL finally and you know playing in front of a gigantic crowd so he finally got that to a limited capacity but still good on him for uh, for getting to experience that and and well deserved too. Well with that that's a wrap uh, on this jumbo season ending sized Blackhawks uh, 720 podcast. Uh, we did hear Plankton on the other side of the door uh, giving us a meow or two. I'm not sure if you guys picked up on that but uh, 
want to thank Plankton this season for allowing us into his den. <laughs> yes, um, yes. Into his this, den. He does uh, his business, if you will, in this room. <laughs> um, and and you've you've taken care of that. I, I wouldn't even know unless you told well, me right there. That's good. That's so, good. Um, there was one podcast where he was uh, performing <laughs> his business while we were podcasting. Yeah, and then there was also one where he nearly uh, deleted our that's entire show. True. That's true. He has jumped on, on the, the laptop. Yep. <laughs> He's, but, he's chewed off a few keys on this now too. So uh, well, uh, in a in a Blackhawk season where uh, where the cat was uh, clearly the biggest star on the team with uh, what Alex DeBrinket did, uh, we had our own cat. Maybe yeah. maybe that's what gave Alex DeBrinket his extra so. rejuvenation that's this year too. Probably we should probably that's let him is. know. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And Dylan Strom spilled the beans during his media session that Alex was getting married this summer too. Oh wow! So, I didn't know that. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, part. reason reason uh, reason to celebrate uh, multifold for for Alex <laughs> DeBrinket here this season because he came back with a bang and uh, you know it's it's just further we don't think Patrick Kane is going to have the the goal scoring tr- troubles that he had in the second half of the season carry over into next year but if anyone's an example of uh, you know if you have that type of talent. Uh, and you have a down year like DeBrinket had last year. Man, he came back a gangbuster. So I think, uh, obviously, the, the biggest star of the Blackhawks shortened uh, season here was Alex DeBrinket. So uh, with that, we uh, we bid you adieu. Uh, we hope you have a great off season. Thanks as well, again, always, to the guy who uh, starts this podcast off with uh, the best voice in the world, Ernie Scatton. Uh, Setting the tone on this uh, Blackhawk 720 podcast, as well as to Curtis Koch for all his uh, great work throughout the season once again in uh, making all the edits that we force him to make here and putting the interviews together between uh, Joe and I just jabbering away. And uh, Joe has himself a busy summer coming up, too, with... uh, See, that was the reason I was late today. I thought Kane County had a 1 o'clock game. It was just a uh, inter-squad game? Yeah, uh, well, preseason, we, yeah. we welcome the Chicago Dogs to Kane County. The Dogs. Yes. We have cats and dogs here. Oh, on yeah. Our, I'm going to be using that a lot. On our cats podcast. and dogs. Um, so, uh, yeah, I thought it was like a regular 1 o'clock <laughs> start here. And, uh, you know, Joe's all the way out in Geneva and... Uh, I missed his text, so I go to I go to reach out to him at four o'clock. Let me know when it's okay to come to the podcast pad, and uh, I reach out, and he had texted me some two and a half hours earlier that he was on his way home. So uh, as we uh, as we wrap this season up here on a late Wednesday afternoon, we want to thank all of you for listening and uh, your loyal podcast listenership, and uh, we'll see what the Blackhawks uh, are all about. Uh, how much. How much change there is uh, between now and when the team gathers for training camp. And uh, I'm sure the podcast will be back when there are uh, news breaks here during the course of the offseason. So, Joe, it's been a slice. Uh, Focus on baseball for the next several months. And uh, hopefully you're not called to uh, uh, part part of our storyline early in the season was you also being a teacher. Right. So, right. Hopefully, hopefully you'll just leave that in your wife's hands, right? And you and you, yeah. and, you and you stay busy enough uh, in in the sports world. So. Yeah. Wow. What a long, strange trip it's been. Uh, I feel like not too long ago I was uh, wiping down some tables over on the Riverwalk once this pandemic started, and I was just scrapping. Got to change ever right. any chance I could. But yeah, no. Obviously, this this is a blast. It's always been a blast. I appreciate you having me along for the ride. And uh, like you said, really appreciate the listeners, our loyal listeners. Uh, staying with us, you know, week after week. It's it's been fun. Unfortunately, I wish we had some playoffs to talk about, but mm-hmm. this is still a very young, good core that is going to be interesting to to watch moving forward. And hopefully, 
you know, we've we've expressed that enough this year, and, and hopefully Blackhawks fans are ex- as excited as we are. Couldn't do this without you. It's a quality job, as always, and we couldn't do it without all our listeners. And perhaps the best thing about this is we... We don't have an exact date we'll have our next podcast yes. as we head into the offseason. This but I'm is sure normally the time we look at the schedule. Yeah. What about this day? How about this yeah, day? Without even talking about it uh, beforehand <laughs> as we figure it out as we're, as we're talking on the podcast. But uh, this will uh, sit and hold for a while until, uh, until news warrants that uh, we, we freshen this thing up. So, uh, again, thank you for all your listening, uh, listenership. Enjoy the rest of the spring, the summer, the entire offseason. And until next time, for Ernie, for Curtis, and for Joe and Plankton, the podcast, I'm Chris Bowden. Thanks for listening, everyone. How about that? He's won it. The Hawks win the Stanley Award. Thanks for listening to the Blackhawks 720 Podcast. Tell a friend, subscribe, and join the conversation. And follow the guys on Twitter, at Bowden Tweets, and at Joe underscore brand one. That was great.